The Friday GAA Podcast, with thanks to GAA Go, official home for live and on-demand GAA match streaming worldwide. Goal on here, goal chance for Conor McGrath, surely give it in, Conor. Mackie heading it towards the 21 metre line. Keep Mackie still going. Go on, goal is up for Cats. Oh, what a goal. I can't think of a better position or a better place to be in right now, anywhere in the world. It's time to take Sam to throne. If you look back in sporting history, you'll see that the whingers and the whiners are forgotten. The characters remembered briefly will stick in your mind at the champions who showed car. I want nothing to do with that, to be quite honest. You know, I think it's a disgrace. A small change before the game, worth the street. I think it looks like Donovan. Donovan Connor back. Wild effort on goal. It's over! It's Hello, hello, it is the Friday GAA podcast, actually being brought to you on a Friday for a change. It's all with thanks to Borgosh Energy, proud sponsors of the All-Ireland Under-21 Hurling Championship. Dave McIntyre in the presenter's chair as always and joined by Tommy Rooney. Good afternoon, sir. Dave, how are you? And Owen Sheehan. How's it going? Everyone's favourite young Kerry man in Irish broadcasting. Mm. Um, I, I guess we should bring you through what we have live this weekend because, oh, it's really getting tasty now. A sellout from Croke Park tomorrow. We're bringing you the entire off-the-ball show from 1 to 6 from Croke Park live tomorrow afternoon. So Jared Nathan will be presenting the show. We'll be chatting to Richie, who's live in Rio on day one of the Olympics. And it's all going to be based around one of the tastiest games we have this summer, Mayo Tyrone, four o'clock throw-in. I'll be commentating with Mossy Quinn on the sideline. We'll have Anthony Moyles and Danny Hughes in co-commentary duty beside me. And then, of course, there's another game at six o'clock, Dublin Donegal. We'll get our teeth into that as well. And Sunday afternoon... We're going to bring you the best analysis of the first of the two All-Ireland Hurling semi-finals. Dahi Regan and Seamus Hickey will be with Joe bringing you live coverage of that game. Waterford Kilkenny at Croke Park. So it's going to be pretty interesting Sunday afternoon as well. Let's start with um, Saturday, lads. I don't think there's any really loose ends to be tied up from last weekend. Obviously, tip were the story, but we've gone through that on, on, on the show Monday to Friday. I think they've probably been mentioned the previous four nights after. But they are one of the great stories mm. and we'll be chatting about Tipperary on the Friday GA podcast as their semi-final against either Mayo or Tyrone looms large. So let's start with the live game that we have off the ball tomorrow. Mayo, Tyrone, Owen. I'll put a discussion point to you. All known form on across 2016 points to a Tyrone victory. It- but often, more often than not, the be- team with the best players wins the game. And Mayo have maybe five or six of the top 15, 20 players in the country on their team. No form behind them, though. Mm. So can you put together a case for Mayo winning this game? Of course you can. And uh, like the one re- point I'm not going to make, because I've seen it made a little bit in a few different sources this week, is this idea that Rochford, has, his players, finally tuned to peak precisely at the right time. <laughs> now, how on earth can they go out that's, last Saturday? That's absolute bullshit. <laughs> yeah. how, how can you go out last Saturday, play like you do, and then expect to reach the levels that you're expected to reach against a Tyrone? So this is all Ireland's semi-final territory they need to be hitting in terms of their progression because like, quite often you would assume Mayo sit down in a January and they were like, right, when are we going to peak? You can probably assume most years that you can bypass the quarterfinal in terms of hitting your top stride. This year after that loss to Galway, they knew they really had to turn it on for the quarterfinal. But after last week's performance, that's clearly not happened. They haven't peaked at the right time. But then you say that thing about the players they have and 
of course, the, the one thing that people can point to and is a real source of encouragement for Mayo is the fact that they've got one of the be- probably the best young forward in the country back in their team this this week. Mm. You look at Killian O'Connor last week, he suddenly is starting to look a bit good. Donny Vaughan had a really good game last week. He was, he, for me, he was probably Mayo's best player last week. Uh, and the, the encouraging sides from him is a really big thing. The question then is... Like, where does Aidan O'Shea stand? He wasn't bad last week by any stretch of the imagination, but how do you utilise yeah. him? Because he is the one player that can really hurt Tyrone, particularly in their, perhaps their full-back line if they decide to push him up a little bit. And I think that's what Mayo should do. I, I really think that they should just be pushing Aidan O'Shea up there from the very start, put him up for the hop, and then send him in. Um, like myself and Tommy were going through it outside, the options that Mayo have off the bench are far weaker than they have against Tyrone. So I think you've got to pump Ed O'Shea in there from the start. You've got to get the O'Connors running at Tyrone's defence and they need to go in at the break about five or six points up because Tyrone are going to spring off their few forwards off the bench and it's going to be pretty grim stuff for Mayo, you feel, if, if Tyrone are comfortably in the lead uh, going into the last 20 minutes. So on Ed O'Shea, Tommy, why? Let's, let's take what Owen suggesting as what actually happened and Aidan O'Shea's pushed up there. Why would Stephen Rochford do that with potentially his most influential player when he's got uh, McMahon and Kavanagh sweeping in front of him and he's got Rona McNabb with his arm around his neck for the majority of the game? Is there not a risk then that Aidan O'Shea is is actually not in the game? Yeah, but see, the thing is as well that Aidan O'Shea seems lost at times in some of these games. Like his influence... Because he's, he doesn't know where he's supposed to be. He's playing between the three lines. He's playing between half four. Yeah, there was a great line of Daryl Shea's piece in the Irish Times about Michael, Michael Murphy, Murphy yeah. that he's been asked to cook the steaks and wash the dishes. Absolutely. At least Michael Murphy knows that that is his role. Yeah. He knows he needs to drop inside the odd time, but a lot of his work is going to be done outside. I think of all the people in the Donegal team, no Murphy. one knows the role better than Murphy. Yeah. But Aidan O'Shea, I want, does he really know what is expected of him in this Mayo team? I don't think he does. And it, it seems to be, I don't get what it is with Joe Canning and Aidan O'Shea and Michael Murphy. They're huge guys. They're potentially three of the best full fours in the country if they're using the right way. And it's just not utilised in that way. Like we saw the impact that Kieran Donaghy had in 2014 when he was used as a big man and he was using the right way. That but was against Mayo though. Against, I know. And... Like it wasn't against, would, would Donahue have come off the bench in an all semi semi-final against Tyrone and had the same impact? Probably not. I, I, I do think, the. I, I agree with Tommy because he agrees with me, obviously. Uh, <laughs> the, the point is that Ed O'Shea is just such an influential, influential character. You have him out around the 40, you have him out around midfield and suddenly you're passing the ball to a static Aidan O'Shea and he's expected to create this moment of magic or go on a run from a standing position. How, how can a forward be expected to do that? You want Aidan O'Shea running from deep if you're going to play like that. You want to be giving Aidan O'Shea a running Aidan O'Shea the ball and then he can be this battering ram that he's so often referred to. Well, you won't get Aidan O'Shea on the run if he's playing full forward. Well, that, think, that's the point. That's the point I'm trying to make. You don't get him on the run often enough around the middle of the field. The thing about being on the run, though, and being on the run against Tyrone, like I, I, we were on about the Mayo formation last night. But this is Tyrone's typical setup. There's are two cornerbacks inside, probably going to be McCrory and McNamee. You've got Colin Cavanagh sitting in front of the uh, full back line in a defensive setup. Colin McCarron, more than likely going to pick up Kieran O'Connor, follow him around the field. But then you're going to have Tiernan McCann, Niall Sludden, Joe McMahon, Ronald McNabb, Peter Hart, all lined up around that half back line. You're going to have Colin McShane, Sean Cavanagh, and Matty Donnelly as the men, and you've, you've seen it time and time again this year, they're the men that are assigned to nail the runner coming through with the ball. Against Donegal, Sean Kavanagh, in that second half, time and time again, when it was either McHugh or McNeilis, or it was uh, Anthony Thompson coming forward, Shawnee Kavanagh was meeting them. 
And they're the men that are meeting you. Matty Donnelly got black carded for it in the first half, meeting the man that was coming through with the ball. These are the guys that are meeting you. There's a wall of about eight men there that are meeting you, waiting so that's to turn your you over. reason to not have Aidan O'Shea having to deal with that. Having kind of to stuff. deal with the running. So, but instead, he's watching this it. happening 45 metres further in, and he might as well have bought himself a ticket for the match and sat in front row of the stand. Well, Donegal's problem he's was... He's not going to touch the ball. But Donegal's problem in that second half was that they couldn't get by that that wall of eight men of Tyrone men that are waiting to just turn you over and break at breakneck speed but there's another the, seven inside but there's there's ways to get around that though you you draw them out you hold on to the ball and then you play it in Like th- there was opportunities for Donegal to pump ball into McBurty and put Michael Murphy inside and they didn't do it Jimmy McGuinness wrote about it the week after they were too one dimensional they tried to do what they did in the first half Like they, they were able to spread Tyrone a little bit they kind of had um, Ryan McHugh operating that role Mickey Hart did whatever he did at half time, completely dealt with McHugh in the second half, and Donegal's attack fell apart. What Mayo, I think, have to do is they have to mix it up. They have to have Jim O'Connor, you know, able to carry the ball the way he does, but they have to be able to hit Andy Moore and really deep inside. They have to be able to stretch Colin Cavan and Justin McMahon when they're dropping back there as the sweeper. When did he drop more and, and do what? Jim McGuinness has been calling for for the last three years for me I want to stick Barry Moore in as well yeah. and put him and Aidan, Aidan O'Shea, O'Shea on the edge of the square and they don't move so that Tyrone are going to have to keep four guys potentially back to mark those two I think they're going to have to do that because I don't see how they're going to get by that Tyrone wall I don't think most teams will I don't know how to do it that would, that would be that would totally play a part in, in my school of thought here just from what Tommy is saying like there's some really good points in there it almost sounds like you're talking about uh, monsters migrating south and Game of Thrones <laughs> or something like that with all the talks of a wall yeah. but it's, there's, it bears a lot of similarities to how to, Game to, of Thrones. to how Galway yeah, <laughs> it does it does to, to how Galway set up last week as well and like if you look at that game and the way Quinlevin and a few other forwards were able to get inside that wall in around the Galway full forward line, they cause a lot of damage. Yeah, well, so I would argue that the Tyrone wall, Galway, the Tyrone wall, is much more bulletproof than Galway's. Even though Galway's, <coughs> but you you have to get over and around the Tyrone wall. You you will not go through them. Well, look you're at, not going to get around it really. Are you? Look at the power. Like, of the Sean, only way is over. Yeah. Look at the power of Kavanagh in the seventy first minute. When he hit that equalising score against Donegal that went up in the air and he, bar- he got a, go- a ball in the 45 and how the man had it in his legs to barrel through three Donegal men and kick that point in the run. That man meeting you in a tackle. If Jim O'Connor gets turned over twice or Killian O'Connor gets put in his arse once or twice like Mayo are going to they're going to if they haven't got a, a plan B or a way to go around that or over it like they're going to look clueless. They're going to look like Westmead did at times or, or how, how Galway looked last week. Like They're going to look like they have no idea what they're going to do next. Mayo are going to have a lot of <clears throat> spare men in their own half of the field. Yeah. What, if you're Stephen Rochford, do you do with those spare men? Because you don't, I guess, want, what Tyrone want those spare men to do is to crab up the field yard by yard mm. by yard until so you get to the point where like 13 of Mayo's 15 players are within 50 yards of the Tyrone goal. Mm. That's what they want from you, isn't it? Yeah. And then the ball gets turned over and suddenly you've got seven white shirts flooding yeah. forward like a rugby league team. You were there live so, against Cavan. I only saw it on the highlights but the highlights of well, that, absolutely yeah, that's some, That was pretty much region. every Cavan attack how it ended and usually ended in a goal opportunity for Tyrone. Yeah. So what do Mayo do there? Well, the first thing you can do to avoid that scenario is concede the kickout. Would that not be an automatic thing? Allow to roam whenever they have the possession, be quite far up the pitch, be confident in your halfbacks, arguably Mayo's strongest line of the pitch, be confident in them, allow them to have the belief that they can turn over the ball in that position, allow to roam to, to have that primary possession, get them deep up the pitch, and then do to Tyrone what Tyrone are going to plan them to do to Mayo. Because, like, of course Mayo are going to get caught in Tyrone's half with the ball in hand, and if they don't have their backs flooding up with them, they don't really stand too much of a chance of scoring unless the O'Connors and Ed O'Shea are on superb 
range kicking form on Saturday, which like isn't beyond the bounds of possibility, but you, you don't want to be banking on that as your your chief source of scores. Like it's a really difficult thing to do. What what do teams usually do in that scenario? They do flood it up with the defense, and then suddenly Tyrone go and breaking them, and they usually lose. So the teams that don't lose do what Dublin have done over the last year or two. They do what Monaghan or what sorry what Kerry did in the two thousand fourteen mm. All Ireland final. They, also do they what just Monaghan mirror did. their opposition. Yeah, exactly. Well, and it may or not going to do that on Saturday. Are they? Do you remember what Monaghan did in the twenty fifteen Ulster final against Donegal? Brought the ball up the left hand side of the field, switched to the right. They had um, McManus was playing very deep that day. They had a uh, there was times when their cornerback was appearing in the full forward line. Like they were, their players were appearing all over the field. Just probing but Monaghan, for the opening. They kept switching the play, and they eventually caught Donegal out, and it ended up being a lot closer in the second half. But in that first half, Monaghan's attacking formation was exemplary. The way they switched it, they had Kieran Hughes inside at times. Did they, they had um, McManus coming out deep and getting the ball in the loop and getting the ball at the right time to take the shots? What Mayo have to do is. They can't try and penetrate that wall with O'Connor running straight through off the shoulder or Higgins and Keegan because that's not going to work. They have to bring the ball up the left side and either have the option of going over the top or spreading the play back across and holding on to the ball. Going over the top or spreading the play back across. Like Donegal, what they kept doing was looking for the man coming off the shoulder, looking for the man on the loop on the easy pass coming from behind. That's not going to work against Tyrone. You have to try and spread them. But like looking at that wall that, wall that Tyrone are going to have on paper, it's, it's scary like. The pace they have to break from that defence. They have the players, the perfect setup from that from that point of view, I think. There's two questions that have also come to mind this week because Kevin McLaughlin has been one of the most talked about sweepers of all time. And there's been some really contrasting opinions on that. Even in The Independent today, you see, or this week, uh, Owen Liston saying that Mayo have the sweeper system refined. Canavan is saying that Mayo should be playing two sweeper systems because McLaughlin doesn't work in that position. There's a lot of disparity in opinion there. <laughs> and then the other thing is, and it hasn't been as as well talked about or whatever because it's an off-the-pitch factor and it's the Tony McEntee factor. Like, how does that play into Mayo? Personally, I don't think that's a huge thing because we've seen Tyrone a lot this year. Everybody knows how they play. Mm. Having a selector who knows Tyrone inside-out isn't exactly a huge plus. You'd imagine Stephen Rochford knows Tyrone inside-out at this stage. The question of Mayo seemingly going out of games for long periods they were terrible in the second half against Westmeath and they were poor for a long period of the second half against Kildare terrible in the first half against Fermanagh and probably a bad 70 minutes against Galway but is there also some credit due to them for the manner in which they won those games not the Galway one obviously but they won the game with a really good second half against Fermanagh a flurry of brilliance 10 minutes before half time against Kildare Mm. that won the game and then this really blinding 15 minute spell where the scores were level I think at 4 points apiece against Westmead and suddenly they were 12 points up and the game was won ultimately in that spell as well can they just get more out of themselves for longer in the game and because it's against Tyrone the wayward Mayo minds and mentality are far less likely to Mm. wander because they're up against their greatest challenge potentially of the year It's not a stretch to say that Mayo could catch fire this weekend and that they'll all click and they will finally see the Lee Keegan that won so many All-Stars and that like you know Colin Boyle is going to continue like Colin Boyle has been phenomenal so far this year like Colin Boyle is going to continue he's been their best doing. player this summer he's really been fantastic Jeremy O'Connor. and that Aidan O'Shea it's going to work out for him like consistently like he's been good at times and he's been really effective but it's going to consistently he's going to have one of those monstrous performances that we know is in him like that could so easily happen this weekend 
like obviously the side of Tyrone, the the side of people writing Mayo off should be enough of a motivation. But even looking at some of the comments, uh, or actually just listening to the show this week, David Brady talking about the 0-4 game against mm. Tyrone and how seeing Fermanagh winning earlier in the afternoon gave him a really big spur on because there was a, a very good chance they would then end up in an All-Ireland final because they'd be playing against Fermanagh. That bears a lot of similarities to this year when they're, I, and I know, Tipperary are an excellent side, but you would still expect Mayo to take them uh, in a semi-final. So there's that similarity. And also the thing I've been talking about all year, the big Tommaso Shea prophecy, which is the comparison between Mayo 2016 and Kerry 2009, when Mayo were absolute muck right up until that quarter-final, <laughs> or when Kerry were absolute muck right up until that quarter-final, when they smashed Croke Park. They caught fire. Or when they smashed Dublin, rather, in Croke Park in the quarter-final. Could the exact same thing happen to Mayo, a combination of 04 and 09 omens here? Well, Tyrone 15, Tyrone 16 are probably better than Dublin 09. That is one part of it. Yeah. The other part of it is that was a Kerry team that had All-Ireland medalists all the way through it, from almost from 1 to 15, having won the All-Ireland two years previous to that. And Mayo obviously don't have that. The other part of this is that it's all omens and it's complete bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Right, uh, time to get off the fence, boys. Not that you were ever on it. Uh, Owen, who's going to win it? I think... Mayo are going to be leading at halftime and Toronto are going to win. Tommy? I want Mayo to win, but I think Toronto are going to do it. I don't really know who I want to win it. So there was another point made by Dara Shea during the weekend that people, Toronto arrived into the All-Ireland series and nobody seems to have a bad word to say about them. Mm. Normally there's everybody bitching a moment mm. of something related to Toronto, whether it's diving, whether it's niggly play, whether it's dour play, whether it's something the manager said, whatever. Have we just grown but, to um, love them? Do you know what we Everyone, is, everyone just so in ad- admiration of the fact that Mickey Hart's put together another team yeah. to win another Ulster title six years after their last and um, they haven't there's been no silly beggars I mean in Ulster it's really the likes of Donegal that have probably been um, responsible for some of the messing that's gone on in the championship and not Toronto they haven't had any red cards they haven't had any players sent off very unfortunate to get the two black cards the last one yeah Absolutely, I think that even engendered a little more sympathy for them as well. Everyone's like, "How has Donnelly been sent off for that? It's terrible stuff." You see the performance of Sean Cavanagh this year and how Peter Hart's been playing. Like even Tiernan McCann, loves it. McCann has been brilliant. McCann has been been phenomenal. Shooting for an All Star right now. If his summer continues on the same uh, scale as it has up to this point, I think there is every bit of potential for Mayo to win the game. But I would be very surprised if they did. I don't subscribe to the theory that Tyrone haven't been tested against the likes of Derry and Cavan because. <clears throat> they went to Celtic Park and won and they learned they showed the in the replay win over Cavan that it was just those stupid goals it wasn't mm. like Cavan really had a foothold in the game the stupid goals that kept Cavan in the first match and the manner in which they kept their heads and played that last 10 minutes against Tony Gall I mean that's some of the best 10 minutes of the championship that we'll see this year last year maybe next year I mean that was just high quality top class stuff the number of 21s they have in their squad that seem already to be buried into the system I mean, the, the, Mickey Hart just has them all reading from the same hymn sheet. There's three or four of them like, starting and there's two or three of them coming off the bench. And that McGeary point, I think, just summed up the yeah. level of confidence they're bringing to the bigger case. Rory and Lee Brennan have that same level of confidence. Mark Bradley has made an impact in the championship this year. McGeary, Monroe come off the bench and had a big impact that day as well. Like, these are guys that we're not seeing that much of either. You know, yeah, like yeah. Tyrone have 
Like we were talking about it, they do have strength and depth. It is, and it's happened so quickly that suddenly, if you looked at that bench 12 months ago, you'd be like, Throne of nobody to yeah. bring on. Who are these guys? Yes. Yeah. Even Niles Sludden. Like, yeah. Niles Sludden has He's grown. He's like, grown into a really and strong player. You, could, you imagine that Perfect a lot system. of these guys, and from some of the Tyrone people I've met over the years, it's like they're, they have a high opinion of themselves. Like, a lot of these 21s with Richie their All Ireland medals are thinking to themselves, why am I not in this team? Yeah. And so they're coming on with real anger. I'm going to, sh- Mickey Hart, point the finger, I'm going to show you why I should have started. And that's where this, the McGeary stuff comes from. Yeah. You know? It's like two fingers to the manager. And like Richie Donnelly is back from injury this week and he's on the bench. Like, by no stretch of the imagination have we seen the best of Richie Donnelly. Like, that guy has so much football in him, so much quality in him, and he's been on and off the panels. We have not seen the best of Ron O'Neill. Not we a, may not, not see the best chance. of this Toronto team for another two oh, years. not a chance. Like, well, I so think we'll see enough from them. I don't expect Toronto to win this comfortably by any stretch. I think this, they could beat the Mayo maybe by three or four points. I do think it's time for Mayo to really stand up. You got rid of your managers, lads. You have to show us why you got rid of your managers. You have to show us that you've got a big 65, 70-minute performance in you and that all these so-called all-star players that are supposedly good enough to win in All-Ireland. Well, where are you now? This is it. Saturday what? afternoon. Step up or just get off the stage because if it doesn't happen for Mayo this Saturday, it could be another 50 years before they win the All-Ireland. 2013. After 2012, they obviously felt like they'd left it behind them. 2013 they came out and in that quarter final against Donegal wasn't a 4-17 to one ten, and they had something to just prove just destroy them something to prove absolutely destroyed them they really had something to prove that day still lost the final though didn't they of course <laughs> that's a big therein, therein lies the big problem but after no, 2012 I swore Mayo were, there was a guaranteed All-Ireland in this Mayo team because I thought they played so well yeah. in response to the and they played so well in 2014 too and then they everything goes their way in the 2013 final and they still lose. Yeah. That's where I thought it's actually never going to happen. Well, they need to show us this Saturday afternoon. I think all three of us are going for a Tron win, but maybe we smell a big performance from Mayo and if that happens, who knows. So that's our live game. I'll be in commentary duty with uh, Mossy on the sideline and Anthony Moyles and Danny Hughes. Danny will be a really good position to give us the, the Tron slant on things. So we move on to the dublin Dunny goal game. And I'll put it to you, Owen, that if Rory O'Carroll and Jack McCaffrey and James McCarthy, a fully fit James McCarthy, were all starting this game, that Dunny goal with Keno Sullivan playing the sweeping role that was absent two years ago really wouldn't have a chance and Kieran of winning Kinkelly. this match. And Kieran Kinkelly, and Kieran Kinkelly. Ab- absent two years ago. Kinkelly. He was really missed two years They ago. wouldn't have a chance of winning this. Probably not. I, I, I struggle to find ways that they will beat them anyway this weekend, but with those factors on top of it, it would be nigh and impossible to come up with something. I think the fact that Eric Lowndes could be out as well this weekend is another big factor. Like, he's been really good whenever he's come in at wing back. Um, like, we could have the exact same conversation here about Michael Murphy that we did with Aidan O'Shea and where you play him. Obviously, there's more of a, a, a shell for playing Murphy inside because they have players like McNeilish in around the pitch and Dublin have that, I suppose, perceived gaping hole at the back where Michael Murphy can slot in without Roy O'Carroll there. Well, Murphy absolutely could do damage there. It's not a perceived... Like, Murphy can destroy any fullback. Yeah, okay, that's a separate point. But the the point about Dublin's weakness at fu- at fullback, like, where, c- can you, like, name a time when that was really shown this year? Because but nobody's tried to exploit it, like. And they haven't it, met a decent team. Well, that is a very good point. They have played absolutely crappy teams throughout Leinster. 
I personally think it's it's not going to be that much of a big thing. Like we've seen teams try it. We've seen teams try it even when Rory O'Carroll was there. People didn't really rate Rory O'Carroll. Some people didn't rate him until last year. Let's not forget when people tried throwing in full forwards, they always got a sweeper back in front of the full forward, and that was nullified. I don't think it was hugely down to the fact that Rory O'Carroll was playing amazing games. Granted, he did have a fantastic season last year. And who was it that uh, looked after Aidan O'Shea in the semi-finals last year? It wasn't Rory O'Carroll. It yeah. was Philly McMahon. Yeah. And he will start on Murphy, won't he? I mean, it's not like Jim Gavin isn't aware that there's serious potential for Donegal to just, you know, put a bomb after bomb after bomb in the top of Michael Murphy mm. and possibly throw somebody else in there with the them as well, fit. like the a Gallagher, Gallagher or Rory Kavanagh mm. or somebody like that. It's not like Dublin aren't going to be prepared for this. No, it's true. But also that's not kind of how Donegal beat them in 2014. And I, I think that's a really big thing for Dublin this week as well. Maybe not for Jim Galvin because of how pragmatic he is, but certainly for the players, it's going to be a big motivational factor for them. And if you look at how Donegal beat them that day, like bombing big balls into a full forward isn't exactly how they won, they won the All-Ireland in 2012. It's not how they had so much success against Dublin that year. And like, I wouldn't be surprised if they just ignore that entirely because it's been talked about so much and it is a huge option for them come 40, 50 minutes on the clock. But I think certainly Donegal are just going to start off with their running game, their kick-passing game. If they can get that going and get McBrady on the ball because he's a man, like not only clearly he's high in form, but the confidence that last weekend would have brought is huge because he'll have known himself. We're talking about him as perhaps the next golden child of Donegal football. And he hasn't really turned up in any big occasion <clears throat> excuse me on any big occasion right up until last weekend and when he does that he's a man high in confidence who like suddenly you're looking at Philly McMahon perhaps marking him and Jim Gavin's got a little bit of a, a headache there the fact that they've managed to take that attention off Murphy and they have another forward is a huge thing like I, I, like how many kick passes did they play to McBrady last week I don't know I don't know if that statistic is available or not but certainly they, they seem to play that a lot more and I think it's going to be a running game for the first 15 minutes of the game and then push Murphy into a forward. The McBrady situation last weekend, <clears throat> it was incredible his level up, his efficiency was be just beyond it. I think he, he pretty much took every single chance that he had. Every time he pulled the trigger it went over the bar. He had two yeah. wides in the second half. It reminded me of Dermot Connolly against Tyrone in the 2011 All-Ireland quarterfinal where he literally could have sliced it mm. horribly wrong and it still would have ended up between the posts. One of his po- points actually was like that for <laughs> Dermot Connolly that day and he had a kind of had a smirk on his face as he turned around. I think that was his seventh point as if I can literally try anything no matter how badly I executed it's going to happen for me that is not going to happen this Saturday no. for Mar- Patrick McBrearty plus Owen Cadigan marked him for 10 of his 11 points and I know there were 4 points from freeze and it was uh, they, the damage was done by McBrearty by the time Cork actually reacted to it Cadigan was nowhere near him every time mm. McBrearty got on the ball it was a nightmare afternoon for Owen and they didn't switch him until really late in the day. None of that's going to happen this Saturday. Paddy will not score every time he gets the ball. He's not going to have the space that he got. I suspect Johnny Cooper's going to be on him. Yeah. He's and he's going to hang either. out of him for the entire game. There will, rare, there will not be more than five minutes. Cooper's one of the most aggressive oh, man He's just going to be in, in well. him. Yeah. Like, he'll have his, he will, there will be nowhere for Paddy McBride to, to go. Johnny will have his crazy eyes on. So I just don't know yeah. where Donegal are going to get enough scores to beat Dublin. Yeah, well, I guess I guess the point I was trying to make was, well, I suppose you do have Philly and Cooper there. Who then becomes a third man then after Murphy and McBrearty have been targeted? Like, he's, you want to get a man on David Byrne, who's an excellent footballer, but still perhaps a weak link of that area of the pitch for Dublin. Who's, who, who's David Byrne going to be marking? Because that is the man that Donegal need to get the ball to. And granted, David Byrne is better than Owen Cadigan. 
Um, like even if he was on McBrearty well, what way does it work I mean, Tommy you're still playing football at a high level um, it's a long time since I played football at well, any level hopefully when you decide that you want Patrick McBrearty to mark David Byrne how do Dublin ensure that it's Johnny Cooper does that mean that both Byrne and, and uh, Cooper end up marking McBrearty is it like a you Tommy Walsh Lark Corbett situation because we do know that no matter how Donegal played it's only going to be McBrearty and perhaps like Marty Riley's going to play deep like like Dublin are going to be left but often it could be someone like Paddy McGrath who's up there you wouldn't know what Donegal he's ended up in the full four position so often this season but can a forward decide who he wants to mark is that possible it's it's difficult you know Um, it it probably will end up two men being on him Um, but you'd imagine Dublin like do you think Philip McMahon will stay inside on it depends where Murphy is I think he'll follow Murphy out the field if Murphy's out the field yeah, um, but well, you see, well, then isn't that that's exactly that's what Dublin want problem. to happen? That is a huge problem for because that's, that's what Dublin want to happen. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter to Philly. They, it, then it's Philly's choice to make. Yeah, then I can go with them, or I'll just stay where I am and mind the house alongside Johnny Cooper and Keno Sullivan, for example. But and then if Michael Murphy stays in, well, then the decisions made for him anyway. Yeah. I think I think it's a banker that Philly is going to be marking Murphy with that point. Like uh, you. He is the most susceptible of the Donegal forwards to come deep, to come up for the midfield battles. And suddenly there's like a breaking ball there for Michael Murphy's midfielder or Michael Murphy's marker, Philly McMahon, to run onto. And suddenly you've got peak Philly McMahon running from deep. And there's James McCarthy on his shoulder. Which is a humongous problem. <laughs> and the ball it, has ended up in the back of the net. Do you know you and that could that be though? the game. Do you know yeah. you change that though? Donegal have to set the tone. Donegal have to win that throw-in. And not have Murphy in. To have Murphy in the square for the first couple of minutes. Yeah. And Donegal have to do something in the first 10 minutes. I don't think they should start playing the running game. I think they should right. start going long. Make that work. If that works, they're so on top. Dublin are rattled. Then you change your running game and you revert to your 2014 game that works so well. That's what I think they have to do. I think they have to have Murphy and McBearty inside early on. Maybe somebody else. Maybe if Neil Gallagher is fit, bring him in inside as well. And then eventually bring them out the field. Um... I don't think they can start playing the way that they've done against Tyrone or the way they've played earlier this year. I think they have yeah, to change it up. It can't be a cagey game, can no. it? a game of cat and mouse. I think people forget that Dublin kicked 17 points when they were beaten by Donegal two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. You feel and that they, they kicked chances. 17 points this Saturday. Alan Brogan had the goal game. chances that day too. Well, like another factor to kind of put forward the theory that they should play uh, a long ball game early on is the fact that they are probably going to score, need to score two or three goals to win this yeah. game. Yeah. And if Dublin conceded two or three goals in back-to-back matches against Donegal, I'd be absolutely astonished. Uh, Dublin have also beaten them twice this year as well. Now, I don't know how much you can take out of the league semi-final in particular. There is an argument out there from people who have a lot more extra expertise in the area than I do. Donegal, Donegal were awful. Donegal the other thing Donegal need is, and it didn't happen against Cork because McBrady was so good, but Oren McNeilis did not impose himself in that game. And I know he's not the character to do that. But he's going to have to against Dublin. I know he's relaxed and he's laid back. And that's actually who he is as a person. But he has to impose himself in that game and make it his. Like he has to be there setting himself up and not taking a wild shot in the first couple of minutes. He, like, Orm McNeil has to kick four points the weekend, at least. He has to go forward for a goal chance or two. Um, they need Michael Murphy not doing, not cooking the steak and, 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 and washing the dishes. Like, like, the, the, that that can't happen. That can't happen this Saturday. Like It can't happen. If Donegal are going to win... Murphy can't be doing the dog work. Yeah, two points from play in the entire championship, but you need more from Michael Murphy than that. So, what's going to happen? 
Well, I think Dublin are going to win. I think they're going to win by six or seven points. Really? Uh, I I tweeted earlier in the season very angrily after the league final that I would be bemused if anybody got within 10 points of Dublin in the championship, which is a bit of an overreaction. Uh, I'll now reassess how to make that five. I don't think anybody are going to get within five of Dublin between now and September. Yeah, I, I think if Dublin win this game on Saturday by a sizable margin, they're going to just go on and waltz to the All-Ireland. Well, not waltz. They could end up against Tyrone. That's that's probably unfair on, on the rest of the teams. But it's very difficult if they get a big test out of their way that's to it. see they're being beaten. But look, they were beaten two years ago when by Donegal when absolutely nobody gave Donegal exactly. a chance. That's cool. How many times have Donegal surprised us over the last so, five look, years? And they have. We're underestimating the quality in their team. Against Tyrone... They were the best team for 40 minutes, at yeah. least 40 minutes. Longer and, than that, I think. Oh, they were, they were 100% the best team in that game. And I it'll, think be a we're sho- it'll be a shock if they win on Saturday. Will it be a surprise, though? People think, won't be surprised that it's Donegal no. that have been able to produce this shock. But they will they'll be shocked, but they'll still be thinking, we should have known. We should have known it was Donegal. I think there's a chance that 10 minutes into this game, we could be all sitting there going, holy hell, we have something here. I think if Donegal start the way they did in the 2012 final or if they rattle Dublin early on, if they can do it early on, I'm telling you, we're going to be sitting there 10 minutes in going. <sighs> well, let's not forget, Tommy, that 10 minutes into the 2014 game, the Donegal game plan was in tatters. Yeah. And Dublin were just, it was one of the most majestic displays of long-range point-kicking yeah. I've Flynn. ever seen. My God. Paul Flynn, Dear McConnelly, Philly McMahon, it was 9-4. It was and then Paul Durkin pulls off that save on Dear McConnelly. That goes Change in that Dublin could easily win by 15 Same or 20 point, yeah. points. But look, anything can happen. I I think, yeah, I I like that phrase. I'll be shocked but not surprised yeah. if Donegal win this match. I Stick was, Murphy on the square. I was a lot hotter on Dublin in 2014 than I am this year. But I, I still think like uh, the, the potential for a surprise this weekend is much higher than I thought it would have been back in 2014 because I absolutely saw no way of Dublin getting beaten uh, in 2014. This year we have something to cling on to that full back line, which well, I still maintain. In twenty fourteen, we were talking about five in a row, like Dublin yeah. were. Yeah, and they would be going for five in a row after that defeat. You would think, right? That's um, all three going for Dublin, all three going for Tyrone, but an acknowledgement from the three of us in both games that they could go either way, and that's why this Saturday is a sellout, and that's why you have to listen to Off the Ball because we're live from one to six all the way through on Saturday afternoon with live coverage of the Mayo Tyrone game. Right, we're going to move on to the All Ireland Senior Hurling semi final, and it is Kilkenny against Waterford. Earlier this week, Derek McGrath perhaps the most likeable manager in Intercounty Hurling right now, popped into studio for a chat with Joe. There's just a little bit of a flavour of what Derek was saying during the week. It was probably at the, the advice, I suppose, of, of Brother Ben, who's a good friend of mine in, in De La Salle College. He's a music teacher there. Right. He would have said it's good to get away. It's good to almost be solemn, I suppose, for, for a period. It, it wouldn't be based on being hugely devout, but it'd be based on kind of just finding a, a, something that, that works for me in terms of um, getting away. But as I said, it wouldn't be something that I'd be, you know... Afterwards, I won't don't won't be thanking the the Lord or thanking God or whatever. You know, not that I don't believe in him, but I just you know that's just my own way of of kind of getting away in the aftermath of and kind of finding a bit of solace from from a small bit of prayer, if you like. You know. Yeah. Well, I've always thought when you're praying to God for a win, <laughs> he can't really favour you over the other team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I go in on Saturday. As I said, I go in on Saturday to La Salle on Sunday morning when I'm reading water. I go to the cathedral. I go up to the Sacred Heart of Jesus and I just say to him, make us be the best we can be. And yeah. if you want to know how stupidly um, um, superstitious I am, 
Actually, when I'm lighting the candles, I light, light them in the set formation for the day. And I say, <laughs> and I actually say, this could win us today. And I actually light the candles. So that's how, if you want it, from the sublime to ridiculous. And that's wow. probably. <laughs> so if, if, a, if an eagle eyed reporter follows you in, they'll have the formation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I find the reporters follow you when you're winning. We can tell you there was no one following us after the Munster final. I can yeah. tell you that. And so, would you, I mean, because it's, some, it's something, God, everyone's too bloody busy all the time, but. The notion of going to a retreat and just phone off for two days, not talking all the time, not having an agenda all the time sounds like heaven. I never get around to do it. And yet I'd love to. Is that what you do? Like, is it meditate? Is it go out and walk the grounds? Yeah. Is it chores? What do you oh, do? Oh, it's a combination of meditation right. and and, and uh, walking and just de-stressing, I suppose, more mm. than anything. And it's just, there's actually one, one period of it from two to five is actually just complete silence. You just sit there, you're not, you're not even, not even you're not allowed to pray, but just there with your own thoughts. As I said, it sounds a bit over the top. But no, it doesn't it, at all. It, um, it works for, for myself in terms of um, getting away from things and, and de-stressing. And look, uh, as I said, I have a, a very, very supportive family like my wife's here and I have two young boys, yeah. Sean and Oren, 10 and 3, and... No, to be able to go away for those twenty-four hour trips, or you know, it's 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 they're very accommodating. And as I said, it's I don't want to be making myself out to be some sort of religious guru, but certainly works for me anyway. You know. And there's plenty more good stuff from Derek from where that came from. We're going to play that interview in full on Sunday afternoons off the ball, around about two o'clock, and we'll be part of our pretty in-depth build-up to the All-Ireland Hurling semi-final. We're going to have Dahi Regan in studio, and we'll have Seamus Hickey at Croke Park, and Joe will be playing you that interview. Well worth a listen from about two o'clock onwards. We're live with you from midday on Sunday afternoon with our usual review of the Sunday sports pages. And it could be pretty explosive as well, because given the weekend that's in, in the Olympics, we've got uh, Gary O'Toole and we've got Enda McNulty paired together for the review of the Sunday sports pages so that is well worth a listen so I'm really looking forward to Sunday's show I won't hear the bits during the game because I'll be on TV duty but you know how it works so this game on Sunday afternoon lads I am I'm surprised that the greatest minds in Irish hurling punditry are actually building this up to be a real contest I don't see any way that Waterford can win this game. I think Waterford are not as good now as they were heading into that semi-final last year. That they have shown real signs of weakness and they're going to have to score two to three goals on Sunday to beat Kilkenny. And I just cannot see how that's going to happen. On top of that, they're going to need Richie Hogan to have an off day. Yeah. And they're going to need three or four. They're going to need T.G. Reid to not be nailing his threes the way he's been hitting them. I this think year. Kilkenny win this game by eight to ten points. Like I think we all, I think everyone knows. I think the, the country, well, a lot of people do. They, they love a lot of these Waterford players, but like Hogan and Reid, like there's no one. They're, they're untouchable in the country. Richie Hogan, I think, is untouchable in the country. He is just phenomenal. Um, just on that Derek McGrath clip, one thing I would love, I would absolutely love to see a picture of those candles in formation. Because <laughs> yeah. that's actually something yeah. that I'm completely intrigued by is GA formations, modern formations. And obviously there's not many in, in Hurling. Like, but well, I hope when you put that just, formation together this week that it looked a little different a, than, a little say, more conventional you, would, you would expect Derek McGrath's Waterford teams to line out. James O'Connor was on off the ball. Was it last night? Thursday yeah. night off the ball. And he was talking about how if they just bring the same game plan to this game that they brought to last year's semi-final, to this year's Munster final, and to last year's Munster final, all three of which they were beaten in, well, they just will not win on Sunday. There is no chance, no chance 
of them winning on Sunday. I, it's very hard to find any palpable reason to disagree with you. And I think that the, the way the media has been building this up as uh, a would-be contest is all based on these intangible factors. You know, this idea that Waterford are unburdened by expectation this weekend, which uh, seemingly... I think there's a lot of expectation on them as well, though. Do you really think so? I think... Like, well, no, maybe expectation is the wrong word. I think that... Are, is there a, a growing sense of impatience around Waterford? I know they're an incredibly so young team. So you're saying they're, they're, they are unburdened by expectation yeah. into this game? They haven't beaten Kilkenny for 57 years. They're not at Kilkenny's level not, this year. See, I would say not in comparison to last year. Last year was a freebie. Yeah. Because they won the first. They won the league title. It was the first piece of silverware under Derek McGrath and they reached a Munster final and they performed reasonably well in that Munster final. Mm. 12 months, nobody gave them a chance of beating Kilkenny and everybody looked at it well look this is a new territory for this bunch of Waterford players it's an All-Ireland semi-final we'll, we'll hope they make progress ne- the next year this was well this be time they've lost the league final they've been hammered in the Munster final and now they're going into their second semi-final with, and this is their only opportunity to show any signs that they've made progress from the Waterford of 2015 I think in the season in general, the expectations would have been different. I think now after what's happened against Tipperary and that pretty meagre showing against Wexford, I think now they come into this game and on the individual basis of the Kilkenny game, nobody expects them okay, to win. So just on this one-off game, there's zero expectation. I agree with that because no one think, expects them to win it. And I still think it's a freebie, but I also think that that's kind of like a lot of crap, really. How much does that really come into play? Although that being said, there there was some great work um, from John Fogarty in the Examiner either today or yesterday, uh, and he managed to unearth a total of nine Kilkenny legends who had a thinly veiled swipe at Waterford over the past twelve months. Kilkenny <laughs> people like that's I suppose the best bit of excavation since uh, Tutankhamun's tomb was found. <laughs> <laughs> we have to make a collection of uh, Sheehan's uh, anecdotes here. Go on. And, and it he's is like Spillane. Paddy Kelly. Did. He knew he was going to throw that line out a week ago. Yeah, he's in, like, in this afternoon's pod. Right that, it's like Broly writing notes about Roy Keane and Kim Kardashian <laughs> like, what was it last week Pat Kelly is the most important artifact in Cork his hips are the most important artifact since the Brownie Stone yeah he had a good game well no he didn't really have he a good game um, like I, I just think that this is the first team that Kilkenny have come up against and they're willing in Kilkenny terms to kind of wax lyrical about how much they really don't like this team or how they're setting up and how it's harming the game of hurling like you've never really seen Kilkenny come out like that and granted it's a very mild uh, sort of thing that they're doing here to Waterford and that'll be another thing that Waterford can cling on to as, as a source of, I suppose, uh, gutso and stuff that they can actually go for this. But again, it's it's an intangible thing and there's nothing that you can come up with that's like a, a tactic, like a, a candle in, I don't know, whatever his local church is, Derek McGrath's local church. De La Salle College. De La Salle College Church. Like, it's it's very hard to see anything when you're watching the games, like watching the Wexford game in particular, you're like... This is grand and all, and I'm happy Waterford have kind of got some sort of redemption. But I'm seeing nothing here that can no. tell me that they're going to be Kilkenny. Well, if Waterford, what if okay, what if Waterford bring the same principles, the same intensity, the same team spirit that they've they've fostered and they've they've grown together under Derek McGrath over the last couple of years, and they bring it. And McGrath says, "Boys, we're tweaking it this weekend. We're playing Kilkenny. This is what we're going to do. We're going to, you know, we're going to be in their faces the way we're going to be. We're, they're still going to play tight to Burke. They're going to play tight to Burke, but they're going to be a little bit more expansive. Austin Gleeson isn't going to take as like 
Love Austin Gleeson as a, as a hurler. He's not going to take six May Fainer shots from, from 80 yards. Gleeson's going to work a little bit forward. They're going to have a little but bit of magic. if he doesn't take those May Fainer shots on, that means they've pushed somebody inside. Yeah. At least one additional person inside, I if think not two. Do- because the amount of balls that are hit, poked wide by Waterford are purely as a result of a halfback or a midfielder picking the ball up 60 metres from the opponent's goal, yes. wanting to play a ball inside. And, and there's another. literally just wide open space with nobody wearing white in that space. Well, they're going to have to change that this weekend. So, and what, like, there's zero point in Waterford losing by six points playing the same system as they did last year. Yeah. Because that's just a carbon so, copy of the 2015 semi final. What's the point of, of this game even being played on Sunday if that's what Waterford do? That's what I'm saying. Bring everything you've learned, bring everything you've grown together under, bring all that together, tweak it a little bit. And if you lose by 10 points having had a cut off them, well, then I don't think anybody can point the finger. Well, you, you probably will be able to point the finger at Waterford because if they lose by 10 points, we know for a fact that Waterford are probably going to hit 15 to 20 whites. Well, look, there's you have you to uh, you have to accept in, in building up to this game and trying to preview it that that won't happen, yeah. that they won't hit the same amount of whites. Can we can we really say that, though? Because we saw that against Tipperary in the first it, half in the Munster final. That's half. in taking shots. That's Gleeson taking four shots from six Because he's got no alternatives. Yeah. You know, is that like... And against Kilkenny, if the I guess one alternative you could put forward is that they would just hold on to the ball a bit more. But then against Kilkenny, their forwards are ravenous and they just swarm all over you and they end up taking it off you. And then someone's spare and it's flicked over the bar for 40 metres out. That spare man is usually Richie Hogan, who avoids those rooks, hangs around the fringe and gobbles up the, the bits that are fed to him from the outside of it. But I struggle to find if Austin Gleeson had no alternative against Wexford or no alternative against Tipperary. How is he going to find an alternative against Kilkenny? Because they I do actually physically push people in there. I do want to think that is just a part of Gleeson's game as well. Like that is who he is. He's the man who wins that ball. He barrels out and he drives an inspirational score. I just think that he does it a little bit too much, and he's done a little bit too much against Wexford. Maybe it's very Ken yeah. It is. You know, Ken McGrath used to puck some outrageous <sighs> scores, but my God, did he, he hit the puck an awful well. lot away as well. Gleeson will still hit his a uh, couple of inspirational scores. We just got to keep that in check, and let's not forget, right? We saw it in the Munster um, under-21 hurling final a couple of days after. These lads have character and they have unbelievable skill and in their bring, team. They will bring it on Sunday. They've got a little bit of magic in that forward line. They can get inside that Kilkenny defence and get a goal. If they keep a clean sheet, or, you know, you're not going to keep a clean sheet against Kenny. Let's be realistic. If you hold Kenny to a goal or two at the right times and keep them goals a little bit away from each other, they don't hit you with two whammies at once. And they get a couple of goals inside... And they hit them with the fire and the intensity that they have. Because okay, they're cliche. How long but they're is the sentence? How many clauses are in the sentence? <laughs> but like, the, honestly, the first word in that sentence was "if," and you're still talking. I'm trying to give order for a chance because I believe they do have a chance. I, like, I believe that this team has a lot in them. Yeah, because, that's because you really want to see this. And you're not yeah. alone in that. We all want to see a Waterford team that is know, improving and that's going to be a factor and that's going to put it up to Tip and Kilkenny with regularity for the best part of the next 10 years. This minor team that won the All-Ireland and is on the cusp of winning a 21 on Ireland. Everybody wants to see it. Everyone loves Derek McGrath. I think Derek McGrath needs to develop a little bit of an edge though, a little bit of a rootlessness. I think he needs to be in a position to tell people to go and F themselves a little more regularly. And I think these Waterford players... They're much love right now, but they're going to just be forgotten about yeah. over the next two or three years if this doesn't gain momentum and they don't pick up a big scalp. Who have Waterford beaten since Darren McGrath took over? Nobody. They haven't beaten anybody. The and po- until that happens, they're going to have major, major issues with this Waterford team. And it's a great opportunity for them to start on Sunday, but if they don't score goals, they probably need to finish on the scoreboard with 26 points. Completely agree with that. I'm not sure do I agree with this whole McGrath legacy thing and if, if they don't win it now then 
it's been a disaster because I think if you go back a few sentences and what you said, they're about to win an under twenty one All Ireland. Like, give that two years. Give that give that one year again. Like, I mean, a team of that age of that sort of profile can have an off year. I'm not writing this Waterford panel off, and I'm certainly not writing Derek McGrath off as a manager. But I just want to see improvement. It doesn't have to be a huge amount, just marginal. And the, I think for that to happen, the system needs to evolve a little. It reminds me of Donegal well, in 2011 were, and yeah. 2012. They were very good against Donegal were never going to win the All-Ireland with the way they were playing in 2011. They probably, would, I think, would have been beaten in the final by Kerry had they got to past Dublin in that match, trying to play the exact same game. But they, were, they evolved in the winter of 2011, and we saw what happened in 2012. Have Waterford evolved? Not at all, really. Like, when is it going to happen? I don't, I don't know, lads. Like, okay, I think that you can't underestimate how much of an impact that monster final obviously would have had on them. Like, that will absolutely brutalize, would have brutalized their confidence. Yes, they bounced back in the twenty-one. Come out against Wexford, they got the job done. Like, they've had enough time now over the last while. That's to not get in doubt. In check. What's to, in doubt is can they possibly get the scores they need to beat Kilkenny? Like, McGrath knows what happened. All right, listen, we, we'll start the prediction with you. So. You've been banging on about Wallerford for 15 minutes now. Are they going to win the game? No. There you go. They're going to be a lot better than the world last year. How much will Kilkenny win by, in your view? Uh, I think if Wallerford tweak it and they, they give him a game, Kilkenny will win by, will pull away by four, five. So handy in the end. Pull away. I'm saying Waterford will tweak it and they'll, okay. they'll, they'll stand so up. So they'll be in the game in an hour gone. That's the hope anyway. I think everyone's desperately hoping yeah. they're in the game yeah. in an hour gone. I, I as they were last year and as Derek McGrath has openly admitted, 61-62 minutes, point down, they didn't go for it. And he put as much blame on himself and his management, um, fellow management team as he did on the players. If they are in the game with that 10 minutes to go this time around, it's an achievement. Do they go for it then? Of course they do. I, I, I think they have to. Like You obviously do in championship hurling. Like, what, what other alternatives Maybe their youth and their vigour and their freshness. Maybe I'm going to backtrack and I'm going to back Waterford to win this weekend. Well, I was actually about to agree with what you had originally said and I, I would say that Waterford can be in this game with 50 minutes to go but I think Kilkenny pulling away doesn't result in a 4-5 or five point win. I think Kilkenny pulling yeah. away results in an 8-9 point yeah. win and that's what I'm backing. Okay, so fair play to Tommy. You're putting your neck out there. You're going for Waterford. Myself and I want to think you're going for Kilkenny but let's hope that it's a really good All-Ireland semi-final and that Waterford shows that they're going to be a team to be reckoned with as we head into 2017. That's pretty much all we've got time for on this Friday's GA podcast. As again, it's all with thanks to Borgosh Energy, proud sponsors of the All-Ireland Under-21 Hurling Championship. We will uh, leave you for now. We'll be back at midday or one o'clock tomorrow. We're going to give you the whole show live from Croke Park as we have live coverage of Mayo Tyrone. And of course, we're back with you at midday on Sunday. So enjoy the weekend and we'll chat to you tomorrow. The Friday GAA Podcast with thanks to GAA Go, official home for live and on-demand GAA match streaming worldwide. Goal on here, goal chance for Conor McGrath. Surely give it in, Conor. What a goal! Mackie heading it towards the 21 meter line. Team Mackie still going. Goal is up for What a goal! I can't think of a better position or a better place to be in right now anywhere in the world. It's time to take Sam to throne. If you look back in sporting history, you'll see that the whingers and the whiners are forgotten. The characters remembered briefly, but will stick in your mind at the champions who showed class. I want nothing to do with that, to be quite honest. You know, I think it's a disgrace. It's a small change before the game, worth the street. Donovan, 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 Donovan,
if it don't mean nothing, what is game? Who got game? Where's the game in life? Behind the game, behind the game. I got game, she got game, we got game, they got game, he got game. It might feel good, it might sound a little something, but the game.